Welcome to Misinformational, hosted by Rebecca Jones and produced by Big Mouth Media. This weekly podcast with Florida COVID whistleblower Rebecca Jones dives into the world of disinformation and how it's hurting America and democracy. Now, here she is, Misinformational. I am Rebecca Jones. You are joining us on our second episode of Indictment Palooza um, for Misinformational. I am here with the always lovely Dr. Cindy Bandai. How are you? Great, great. Yeah, this is uh, the end of the most recent indictment watch, right? Much like hurricane or thunderstorm watches, like they tell us when these things are coming. And then it went to indictment warning. And then we actually had the indictment. So, Fun pretty stuff. fascinating day. <laughs> yes, and we're going to dive into that momentarily. First, I wanted to say thank you to everyone who's contributed to the fun help finish our whistleblower movie. Uh, we reached our goal yesterday, I believe it was. Um, yeah, and we're a little worried about sabotage just because it's, you know, me. Um, so we're hoping to go past our goal a little bit because there's a couple of very large donors that we don't know, either myself or uh, the documentary team. So uh, we're afraid they might just disappear at the last second and screw us over. So if you wanted to help us make sure that that doesn't happen, um, there are tons of perks and rewards from social media shout outs to a special thanks in the movie um to private dinners and q a's and screenings so please check that out on kickstarter the link is in my bio for all my social media handles and again thank you guys so much for making this reality because i was a little worried there that we weren't going to meet this goal so it's amazing that we did that's great um, and we'll make sure that it's in the show notes here as well so don't uh, don't miss out on that. And we're going to send it again to all of our big mouth media folks and our m most recent newsletter coming out shortly. Nice. Um, other quick update. This past week was um, National Whistleblower Week and Day. Um, July 30th is actually Whistle National Whistleblower Day. So on that day, we had a special event at the press club in Washington, DC, which is a super fancy and cool place that I've never been before. Um, and it was part memorial for my very good friend and mentor, Daniel Ellsberg, who passed away in June and part award ceremony for the annual pillar awards um, and some other whistleblowing words that they give out every year. And um, I got to see Dan Ellsberg's, you know, keynote when he received the lifetime pillar award mm. which he filmed just not that long ago um and that was nice because i've it's been really hard um for me since he passed you know there aren't many people i can just celebrate victories with or grieve losses with that i don't have to go into the backstory i don't have to go into how mm. scary it is or how insane it is he just always knew and was always supportive and i was already a puddle of tears after his um posthumous keynote when they started giving out the signal award, i mean sorry the pillar awards and the first one is designated for military whistleblowers and they actually gave it to the philadelphia 15 who were a group of 
I want to say Navy and I'm going to, it's going to be terrible if I get that wrong, but military people who blew the whistle back in the thirties about um, mm. racial discrimination and things like that in the military. And um, they got a posthumous award and there were a couple of other people. And then at the very end, they give out the Martha Mitchell pillar award, which is supposed to go to someone or a group of someone's who embody the principles of what it means to be a whistleblower in the face of tremendous adversity. Alexander Vindman won one a couple years ago. Uh, Theranos whistleblowers, Erica Chung and Tyler Schultz, good friends of mine, uh, won it last year. So this is something that carries gravitas. It is very symbolic and um, of the support that the whistleblower community has. And as the guy uh, Michael was going through and talking about how this were oh, years of recipient, he couldn't think of anybody who embodied those principles more than Rebecca Jones. These sneaky little bastards knew that they were going to give it to me the whole time. <laughs> and nobody tipped me off. And I was like, well, thank God I came tonight because nobody tried, like, made sure that I was going to be here. So that's nice. He said, ah, we would have mailed it to you. Um, but uh, I was so stunned. I think I sat in my chair for like a full minute just like because I couldn't believe the things that they were saying about this year's awards recipient was about me. And, you know, with the isolation that going through this journey um, brings with it and the way that they try to create a wedge between you and your allies um, yep. undermine, you know, your reputation within certain communities. It's sometimes hard to forget that there are people who know exactly what is happening and what is going on and what it is. And that within this, community that I hold such esteem for. Sharon Watkins was there. Um, she actually gave me a kiss on the forehead because I was a crying mess. Uh, she's that one of the Enron whistleblowers, Cynthia Cooper, mm -hmm. all of these other incredible people, Jackie Garrett. And um, I couldn't, I just, it was nice. It was to think that these people, you know, hold me in such high esteem. It was very emotional for me because it's been a hard month. You know, we fled Florida. Yeah. That felt like giving up. It felt like quitting and running. And that was hard for me. And everything that's happened with my son and not having any money to eat um, for various points in time since we've been here has been rough. And so that was amazing. And, you know, a special shout out to the National Whistleblower Summit, who grants these awards and all the supporting organizations that um, I've been in contact with the Signals Network, National Whistleblower Center, um, Whistleblowers of America, the Government Accountability Project, um, all of those groups, they've been incredible and they make sure that the bad guys don't win. And so that's nice. But let's speak about another bad guy who is certainly not winning. I was gonna say, hold on before you transition away. I was going to say, just want to echo that congratulations back to you, Rebecca. And I know the journey that you've been on and it is absolutely amazing that you have gotten this recognition. The courage that you've shown standing up for the people of Florida and data integrity <laughs> writ large um, has been amazing. And I know that like an award is pales in comparison to what you've been through, but I hope that 
uh, it's validating and it shows that there are people who have, you know, see what you're doing, appreciate it and let all those naysayers and people of turn coat because, uh, you know, suddenly being a right wing media pundit is a uh, super cool <coughs> young Turks. Um, <laughs> Um, there's more money there so that's what people are now they're all driven by money yeah it's terrible so anyway congratulations to that i'm hoping that this is a bright step forward for you in your new life on the east coast um while we're chugging along here in florida and speaking of florida man now there's a segue yes so <laughs> what are the terrible florida men <laughs> We're assuming that at this point, everyone is pretty much heard on the planet that Donald Trump has been indicted for another four felonies in um, D.C. that are related to his attempts to overthrow our government and overturn a lawful election. This is, of course, one of the investigations related to Jack Smith. Um, there's four counts in it, and they are very... Um, intense. There's conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, and conspiracy against rights. So the right to have your vote <laughs> count. Um, so um, I love the first line, by the way, which um, the very first statement, you know, as soon as Trump saw it, he had to lose his shit. Says the defendant Donald J. Trump was the 45th president of the United States and a candidate for re-election in 2020. The defendant lost the 2020 presidential election. Period. Yes. And really working through this lawsuit, um, some of these people, I think, believe the crazy. I think Jenny Thomas believes the crazy. Um, I'm hoping that she is... Uh, unindicted co-conspirator number six, the end quote political consultant. Mm, um, but a lot name. of the other uh, co-conspirators have been named. We know that Eastman is one of them, that Rudy Giuliani is one of them. Um, there's a little bit more debate about some of the other ones. But um, yeah. Sidney Powell and Jeffrey Clark. Is that, are they in there too? Okay. So they're not specifically named, but because the 45, I love that it was 45 pages, by the way, for the 45th president. Um, Numerology. Because of the specific context, it wasn't hard, especially for people to fill out that Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman were, um, I think, two and three. So they're calling him a fraud and they're accusing him of trying to overthrow the government and... Um, one of the most damning things about this is the definitive they knew it wasn't true and they lied about it anyways now these yeah. are finally being consequential actions like obviously fox news with its 787 million dollar settlement with dominion um okay. which forced tucker carlson out was a wake-up call to fox and they're currently being sued by Smartmatic, who is seeking $2.7 billion in the defamation lawsuit over the um, lies. Another voting machine. Yeah, company. and they can use Jack Smith's case and his investigation and whatever discovery he has to support that lawsuit. So for Fox, this is a big deal. This is an expensive lie. And although 
its committed viewers may not see this as any reputational damage. It hurts the bottom line. And ultimately, that is all that Fox cares about. But Rebecca, what about Hunter Biden? Oh, God. Yeah, they were covering Hunter Biden yesterday during while this all the breaking news was about um, Trump being indicted. They're covering Hunter Biden. Which is, but um, the giant nothing burger, of course, and that was the other piece of news that was happening earlier this week. There was a congressional inquiry where supposedly their star witness, who is like a buddy of Hunter Biden's, basically came out and said, No, Joe Biden had nothing to do with it. You know, he was business, you know, business, and you know, I think that was him, David Archer was the yes. Uh, yeah, he went and testified, and he was like, no, I mean, we never talked about it, so done. But um, they really thought that that was going to be something big. It's, you didn't prep. You didn't, like, ask before. It's so stupid. But um, I will say there's one, like, unsung hero in this whole debacle, all 45 pages for the 45th president, um, and that is the White House chief counsel. So I forget what his name was. I really should look it up and give him our, our regards as a nation. Was the one who was basically in this cabal refusing to go along with everything. He flat out told Trump that he lost and that, in quote, his presidency would end on inauguration day in 2021 and there was nothing he could do to stop it. Right. And every time one of Mark Meadows or one of the other people tried to push this on him, he basically was, you need to stop. This is a lie. And it's amazing that he kept his job, for starters, Um, (laughs) you know, being the only one in that. And maybe there's additional steps he would have to take to be fired. I don't know. Um, But he really did. I'm, I'm sorry for the gender stereotype, but I'm assuming since it's a high position that they're more likely to give it to a man than a woman because of, you know, systemic sexism, but he really did push back hard and was the only person top down who did that within the Trump circle. Um, Yeah. So. Cipollone. Huh? Was it Pat Cipollone? I don't know. I don't, it just says uh, White House chief counsel throughout the indictment. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there were other people that got fired. Um, if you go down to page seven, um, CISA, which is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, um, joined an official multi-agency statement that there was no evidence. Uh, any voting system had been compromised and declared the 2020 election the most secure in American history. Um, days later, after the CISA director whom the defendant had appointed announced publicly that election security experts were in agreement that claims of computer-based election fraud were unsubstantiated, he was fired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, there were certainly people who were fired for, you know, substantiating uh, the against the lie. Uh, but for some reason, White House counsel kept his job, which was great. And it's... To me, the thing that really kind of stays away, and remember, this isn't the last investigation. There's still one more that's ongoing in Georgia, and it looks like they're going to indict him. I think, um, let me Google real quick, how many indictments does Trump have? He's got three, but I'm trying to see um, how many. Four, this new one, there was 41 with the 
the documents case because then there was those additional ones that came out. Was it earlier this week when we were on indictment watch and then we whew, we got a couple extra charges on that one, right? So and that yeah, 40 counts against him include charges of retaining classical um, info, um, four for this. So that puts us at um, 44. And then whatever the New York City one, 34 there. So we are now at 70, yes, 78 um, charges for Donald Trump at this moment. I have no idea what Fannie is going to do. Yeah, what Georgia is going to look like. Um, but I'm sure that it will be as exact and as detailed as the previous three. And yeah. um, it's it's. I know everybody's saying it's politicized. I think choosing not to go after him would have been politicized because we in this country, I have a distrust of institutions. We've discussed this about, you know, the inherent faith in institutions or the lack thereof is very much influenced in some ways by politics. Now, of course, I am a hardcore progressive Democrat who distrusts institutions. And if you go for far enough left, that's where you're going to end up. I mean, right. We're more focused on corporate institutions. So, you know, nobody on the far left likes Monsanto or, you know, any of these other agencies or, or companies that we know exploit labor or, um, <clears throat> excuse me, land or, mosaic. Yeah. Or, you know, tarnish the planet like BP. Like we do not trust mm -hmm. them. Um, we do, however, put faith generally on the left in things like academic institutions, mm -hmm. um, government institutions, things like that. I don't. So I'm, I'm crossing over on these things. But what this, the heart of this case is, is how it wasn't just the big lie. It was the systematic dismantling in faith of our entire election systems as an institution. Mm -hmm. uh, the damage of which for that is still ongoing. And mm -hmm will reverberate throughout elections and time for hopefully not um you know my lifetime we'll get rid of most of that but it's possible that'll and be great <laughs> i was yeah. gonna say this is also connected by the way to the recent indictments of the fake electors in michigan right there was that slate of fake electors i think they went after them in two states i thought it was in arizona yeah so I definitely, I, I knew that Michigan also in just indicted two additional top Republicans, including a state legislator and a candidate for attorney general who provided access to those 16, that slate of 16 fake electors in Michigan uh, to, to be able to try to do this. They were trying to push a fake uh, slate of electors that said Donald Trump won. This was part of, by the way, the Kraken the Kraken. This was Sidney Powell's name of the so whole thing. Co-conspirators as well. Yes, yes, she is. And But this is what they were saying. Like the thing that I think was wild, like looking back and even saying it now is like they told us exactly what they were going to do. <laughs> they didn't hide this. It was out in front. They said it on social media. They're like, we're going to release the Kraken. The Kraken, of course, was Giuliani and Sidney Powell running around and telling everybody that they're going to do this batshit crazy, like, thing that is totally, totally illegal. And that included these fake electors. So, 
Go back outside, okay? Please go. Yeah, and so um, there were, I think, half a dozen, a dozen states that were doing this. Wisconsin's mm -hmm. was specifically cited in Trump's indictment. So I think we'll uh -huh. expect to see those people indicted. Mm -hmm. There was one for Arizona. There was one for Florida, uh, led by Ron DeSantis. He was a part of that as well. Um, I want those indictments to come yeah, down, man. Mexico, I believe, were also included. Um, Do you know any of those players in Florida? Top of your head? Oh, yeah. All of them. The, all of Sabatini, them. Like, who was it? Yeah, I know. Um, there was a bunch. Sabatini, who's running for Congress, by the way. Again. Yeah, of course, because he didn't. He didn't even win his primary. Um, no, he didn't win his primary because he was pushed out by the DeSantis folks because there is a big Republican civil war here in the state of Florida between the DeSantis and the Trump folks. So I think based on what we've already seen happen in Michigan and the way that it was done, we can expect everyone that was involved in the fake elector scheme to be indicted at some point. Um, New Mexico and Pennsylvania were involved, but I read specifically that they had a clause that they would only be willing to do it if Trump prevailed in the lawsuits in those respective states. So they may get away with it. But um, as far as everybody else, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're, they're going to get away with it. And this is possibly or, or shaping up to be at this point, assuming that we see more with the co-conspirators, going to be the largest corruption sting in American politics since like yeah. the 1930s. Um, and we're talking about on the national scale. Now, like we've seen states like Louisiana go through these massive, you know, corruption schemes where they'll lock up half of the government because they broke all the laws. Chicago is kind of infamous for that. Um, a bunch of places, but this, we're talking national scale. And kind of the hope at this point is that that happens that yeah. there's no one who was a part of this that isn't held responsible in some manner. And that yep. includes people like Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene, sitting Congress people. For uh, up until now, those people have not been included in any of this. Right. Which I've noticed. Uh, all of the co-conspirators are former people, former officials or consultants or lawyers or outside parties. They are not people who are currently serving in government. And that concerns me because mm. the precedent that you'll only ever be held responsible for crime after you leave office, then office is just a get out of jail free card. And right. Um, DeSantis, Gates, and there's a lot of people in Florida that should be going to jail. Um, a lot of people in Congress that should be going to jail. And if they let them go, how is that justice? Right. Well, I think that what we have here is also a differentiation in systems, right? I think you see Michigan coming out because I believe that those folks are being tried under the laws of the state of Michigan, right? They violated their state's election procedures. And that's actually an important part of our election system is that each state administers and certifies their own election. It's supposed to be a stopgap to prevent this type of thing. And actually, for the most part, it works, frankly, even though we have to retroactively hold people accountable. But I think it's going to be harder to get those convictions in a state like Florida because of the endemic 
corruption that we already have. And because of the people who are placed into those high judicial positions have been cronies of DeSantis and favorable to Trump. um, Justice Thomas, who, of course, uh, DeSantis was texting with uh, the justice and his wife, Ginny, um, during this entire debacle. And DeSantis was trying to basically help them find ways to overturn the election. Now, we also go through this very critical lens of we have to have a fine line on what is illegal. So just having a conversation about something is not necessarily a crime unless Mm -hmm. there's some kind of damage caused from it directly or um, some kind of action taken on whatever was proposed. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about all these meetings that like Matt Gates had or the big December meeting that, you know, everybody was at that, everyone hopes everyone will be charged with. Um, it's not necessarily illegal to meet and discuss something. I mean, you can easily make the argument that you just wanted to know what was going on so that you could inform mm-hmm. something or keep records of something. Um, because being present for conversations on a crime. Right. And I think that's how people like Matt Gates might get away with it. Mm-hmm. Um, or DeSantis might get away with it, but there are plenty of Congress people who did spread the big, big lie in an attempt mm-hmm. to defraud people and deny them of their civil rights. Um, they didn't, they might not get charged with the, you know, attempt to disrupt, you know, a proceeding thing, because as Gates has pointed out many, many times, he was not in DC on January 6th. He was in Michigan um, dealing with the fake elector people. And so uh, he loves to point out that he was not there and had nothing to do with it, uh, which is funny considering how far up, you know, Trump's ass he is. Yeah. Well, I've heard speculation, too, that Byron Donalds was a major player behind the scenes in this, even though at the time he was just an incoming freshman, um, had, you know, had just gotten sworn in, essentially. But you can see right now he's really lined up with Trump. He's doing a lot of the punching down on DeSantis and out at Biden on Trump's behalf. He's on the short list for the VP pick. And he was at the Trump rally on January 6th. And so it'll be interesting to see if that is going to extend to all the players and how it may extend. I think that what we can hope for is that it will be a careful deliberation in the same way that it has been thus far. And I want to say, I I think that that is what has been really good about the Jack Smith investigation is it has been seemingly very professionally run, really worked to keep himself out of the politics of it and has been very carefully crafted and seemingly like, has all of what is necessary to very easily convince a grand jury that these need these indictments need to be handed down. And I think that that is ultimately what is going to be necessary to have a conviction and the conviction is necessary to level these type of charges. Yeah. And you know, you don't, if you're going to swing, make sure you don't miss kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really difficult to kind of, I think, in some ways, say how profound of a moment this is for America. And um, I, I hope that this 
completely flushes it all out. Now, it, it can't possibly, there's certainly people who were not in government or not political players when this election happened that have since run for office and been elected. But mm -hmm. I hope that it rattles enough of them that they start to realize that lies have consequences, serious consequences, especially when you do something like try to stop, you know, the peaceful transition of power um, by riling up a mob and telling them to descend. And I thought one of the saddest moments was um, when Mark Meadows actually tipped off the Secret Service that Mike Pence was in danger for his life because of Trump, that he mm -hmm. was worried that Trump would kill or hurt Mike Pence and had to tip off, so, uh, what is it called? Secret Service to protect himself. Um, of course, Mark Meadows is deep into this everything as well, mm -hmm. a person, but even he was like, I think Trump's gonna kill Mike Pence. I should probably tell the Secret Service about this. And then of course, Mike Pence now talks about how it's good that Trump's indicted and he, he knew it wasn't true, but then he was very apologetic. And especially during the impeachment mm -hmm. for trial for all of that, and it was like, Apparently, Trump's closest people were so afraid that Trump was going to have you killed that they tipped off Secret Service and you went out and sent for him. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I, I'm having, I don't know, I'm having some very, I don't know, deep and pensive thoughts about all of this as well. I... I'm not celebrating this indictment. I know a lot of people, they want to see Trump go down because he's genuinely and thoroughly a terrible human being. He's a gangster. He's a criminal and has been for a very long time. So he really deserves to be held accountable for that. But I was not celebrating this indictment. I am mourning for our country, for our democracy. I am worried about what comes next. Because as I was alluding to earlier, you know, Florida is also the ground zero for the Trump v. DeSantis, like, fight, where I ultimately think the spark for the next civil war is going to be, just saying. Um, we already actually saw some violence come out of that, where one of the state reps from our area here, Spencer Roach, had his house shot into Spencer Roach, like most people in the Florida legislature, had to line up behind DeSantis in order to get anything done in the state legislature. But all the federal candidates and other folks are behind Trump. So Roach is a DeSantis supporter. And apparently there's some crazy folks, because by the way, our also our local party is all Trump offense. So these folks are fighting and shooting guns into each other's homes right here in Southwest Florida. And I'm just worried that something like that is a prelude to more. And although I really deeply feel that in order for our democracy to be saved, we need to hold Donald Trump and all of the other co-conspirators and anybody who was involved in trying to overthrow the election in 2020 responsible. But it's a very, very tenuous time for the country overall. And I can't see a way personally where we're going to get out of this unscathed, unfortunately. 
I'm hoping some people have some more brighter insight for me, but I'm kind of like, this is huge. He is already ginning up, by the way, those folks on his side to prepare them for some kind of violence. We know they've been stockpiling weapons forever. So um, this is momentous. It's important. It's sad. And it's worrisome. I think there's hope, my optimistic side. Um, I hope that maybe the scathing has already occurred. Give me the hope because I'm <laughs> um, trying to be I mean, the optimistic. They're not going to come out of this unscathed. I think we're pretty scathed. I think January 6th was the culmination of the scathing. I mean, we've gone through another election since then. And aside from some serious gerrymandering, um, we didn't see any of the kind of activity that we saw with the 2020 election. Now that might be because it's a Trump effect. Um, right. but the fact that we did not have riots or, you know, anything like that makes me think that people do still have faith in the system and that it will, it works and that it, everything is only true for some reason when it comes to Trump. And once we get rid of Trump for good, then it'll be done. Um, there are a lot of people who in the GOP don't want, never wanted Trump, first of all. Uh, mm -hmm. They thought he was a spectacle that could pull in engagement. Um, but he turned out to be very uncontrollable and they didn't like that. I think there are a lot of people in the GOP who want to rebuild themselves as the party of like the Chris Christie's of the world. And they're going to take the opportunity of Trump's multiple convictions to, and we discussed this um, previously to turn it into a bloodbath at the Republican National Convention. Right. And um, they want to be a different party, still kind of like the party they were in like 2008, 2012, which again was not great. Um, and it, it was not authoritarian leaning. It was more, um, you know, poor people should just die. Um, social security should be ended kind of, you know, anti workers, anti poor people, anti children kind of thing but not insurrection conspiracy theory type shit. And I think they want to get back to being subtly racist and, you know, not the like things that like DeSantis is doing, you know, they kind of anointed him as the chosen one after Trump and that is not working out for them at all. And so they're, I think that's why they recruited Chris Christie to run is because they need someone they know will be dutiful to the party, who's not crazy, who's your old fashioned type of corrupt, you know, manageable corrupt, corrupt for the party. And uh, they want to get rid of what they see as an infection within their own party. And um, those well, that playing out already. Um, yeah, they got a big problem. They got to roll back all the way pre tea party because it's actually all of those folks, those like hyper libertarian, let's dismantle the government folks who have contributed significantly to the dysfunction in Washington, DC, and who have made a pathway for these other types of characters like Ron Santos and like Donald Trump to come to power. Um, remember that, uh, DeSantis was part of the House Freedom Caucus, which was the Tea Party faction of it. Those folks have a long history of trying to 
privatized the federal government, trying to restore liberty on their terms. And by the way, liberty on their terms means property freedom, right? Which means businesses, companies, property owners can do whatever they want, by the way, which rolls all the way back to even enslavement, right? So that's the liberty of property going way back to the inception of this country. And that's why we have this confluence of all these things happening right now, of the racism, of the extreme fiscal folks. I mean, look, the Republicans right now are talking about shutting the government down again by not passing a budget. They are talking about not passing the military funding, right? It's brinkmanship after brinkmanship with the with the federal government. And it's not because they fundamentally believe that this is a good way to go. It's because their fundamental belief is that we should not have a government. It goes back that far. And so we, we're still at peril. So I would love to see the Republican Party roll all the way back. Let's roll it back. Well, back to the early uh, 2000s, the, the 90s even. We can, we can go, I would actually go all the way before Gingrich, maybe even before Nixon. I don't know. I don't know where we roll it back where the Republican Party is not a piece of shit, to be honest. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it's certainly a, a crisis, but I feel like we can heal. Um, there'd be too much outrage on the left if if no one was held accountable, or especially if Trump was not held accountable, it would send a message that powerful people will always be beyond the reach of justice. And that's how the it is 90% of the time or 99% of the time. And for right. this, for what they tried to do, we're not accepting that. Right. And clearly neither is, you know, the state of New York and, or the, I guess the Manhattan DA or dc or um florida you know so that those are where all of his cases are right now and that's a positive sign in the right direction because we were angry and hurt and i think disengaged by the lack of action yeah you know we kept hearing forever oh it's going to come it's going to come and a lot of us were just like you know there were no consequences for that i don't even give a shit anymore what's the point in fighting if they no matter what they do they're never held accountable and right. I think that seeing this happen um, is big for a lot of people who started to lose faith in any sense of accountability for power. And, yeah. you know, that's long overdue. And but we also wanted it to be thorough and we wanted it to be a slam dunk. And we didn't want there to be anything that could possibly legitimately discredit the investigations. And yeah. they've done that. They've delivered yeah. that. And that, I'm sure, takes time. Yeah. Yeah, they have. And and so hopeful that this is real and true accountability all the way through. I just want to roll back one second on what we said about being unscathed, because the other indicator that you're right, actually, that we are not unscathed at this point was today the announcement that one of the credit rating agencies, Fitch, had downgraded U.S. bonds from the AAA rating. So this is another consequence of the lack of stability in the government. It is coming from both the brinkmanship uh, that we see from those far right Tea Party fiscal conservative nonsense folks who are trying to actively dismantle the government. But it's also rolling into the toxic environment that Trump has created and the consequences, because by the way, this did come right after the indictment of Trump, that 
we have such a toxic political system right now and frankly such out of control corruption vis-a-vis trump and his alkalites that the investments into the united states are less secure this has broad consequences for us in terms of our ability to continue to grow our economy to be a global player and to be that safe investment that we have continued to be so my other pitch on this too is like politics all this other stuff aside the reason that we can't have and can't sustain people like trump and the giuliani and the insanity that the QAnon and the kraken people put forth is because we're talking about long-term economic damage to the country and that affects individual people's lives in the long run yeah and I mean, I, I try to be hopeful. My journey isn't really um, hope-inspiring <laughs> just because it's been so hard. But, you know, these victories sometimes – The one of the things I really took away from Whistleblower Week was the average time it took to make the full arc from, you know, when you became the whistleblower to when your case was resolved or where there were apologies or whatever resolution it was is 10 years. And – I'm only like three years in. And so I'm sitting there thinking this whole time, like I cannot take another seven years of this shit in my life. I will not make it. Um, and certainly there, there have been people who have not made it. Um, there were originally three Theranos whistleblowers, one succumbed to depression and committed suicide. And, you know, so not everybody survives, but there's always a resolution. No matter what it is. And whether it's win or loss or measly, you know, offering of financials versus, you know, trying to discredit. And it takes time, but the country is certainly healed from far worse. I mean, we did have a civil, an actual civil war, not just a virtual Twitter disinformation civil war, a real one. And uh, I live in an area that, you know, every mile or so there's some kind of event that happened during the civil war that led to mass death you know i grew up not far from gettysburg and so it's we can't heal but only if there's accountability and there's a big argument to be made that post-civil war reconstruction did not properly hold the south accountable and right. that allowed for the legacy racism and everything else to go on the way that it did. Mm-hmm. And I think if we finally start holding people accountable, we'll see that it's okay to, to learn and move on. But as long as those wounds are still open, they'll continue to bleed and you'll never heal. Yeah, that's true. So it sounds like you're hopeful that we can recommit to democracy and our democratic principles and move forward through this indictment and any disruption that has been caused thus far. And I think that's pretty much all that we've got to say on that matter. So we were really, really long recently, so we'll make this one a little shorter. That's fine. Listen, but I think it's good. I, I like that, you know, we were able to analyze this and come with like a tempered tone because I feel like, like I said, I, I see a lot of people who are excited and, you know, I, I don't feel excited about this. I feel like it's, it's, 
important, but I want us to like, remember like truly what's at stake here. And I think it's important to respect folks who have been part of the process of, of truth telling like you, Rebecca, like other whistleblowers, like the people who are finally now being also exonerated to a certain extent, like the poll workers in Georgia who are, you know, found to, they were found recently to have nothing to do with any of the wrongdoing and the allegations against them. All these people who stood up, the Pat Cipollonis, the other folks who stood up at important times and stopped this coup that was being led by Donald Trump from fully taking hold. So there's going to be heroes that will come out of this story. Um, the story is not yet complete. I do firmly believe that we're at like the beginning of it. So we're going to see more. Um, and that I will take a bit of Rebecca's enthusiasm and hope with me and that we'll prevail and get back to leaning into our principles of, of freedom and democracy. And then we'll get back to the old days when we didn't so much dispute facts, we just disagreed on how to deal with them. You know, like people are poor because of systemic oppression. Republicans knew that. They just said, we just don't think we should have to help them. You know, it, it's, we get back to the good old days where just they didn't give a shit and didn't have to lie to make it seem like they did, but the truth was on their side. And, um, the yeah, I love that. Yeah. Of disinformation is very high. And I hope that companies and organizations that have legal resources or people with great financial resources can continue to sue these people into oblivion for every single lie that they tell. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca, for providing us with that glimmer of hope in what is otherwise a very fascinating time to be an American. And Re Rebecca Jones, Misinformation, will be sure to follow her on uh, all the social platforms on, I, I was like, I was going to say Twitter. TikTok, Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, Threads, Spoutable, Facebook. Facebook. Yeah, all over the place. <laughs> A subset. There you go. Subsec. Uh, you can find more information about the misinformational podcast here on Big Mouth Media on the website at BigMouthMediaFL.com. You can get a subscription to help this show keep going for $4.99 a month or $49.99 a year or subscribe to all of the amazing shows that we have at Big Mouth Media for $19.99 a month. You can find that under the plans and prices tab on the Big Mouth Media website. I have been your co-host, Dr. Cindy Banier with misinformational herself, Rebecca Jones, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Thanks for joining Misinformational with Rebecca Jones, brought to you by Big Mouth Media. Stay connected by visiting misinformational.com and check out all the great shows and articles on bigmouthmediafl.com. You can also join the conversation with us on Facebook, Instagram, and the cesspool that's Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe to Misinformational wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.